0: Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you so much, God, for your love. Lord, I thank you that you love us enough to speak the truth in love. God, that you love us enough to diagnose our disease and our sickness, Father. And not only diagnose us, Lord, but provide a remedy, God. And I pray this morning, Lord, that we would be open to your Holy Spirit, God, that we would not put up the walls of defense, God, of self-justification, Lord, but rather we would submit to your word and recognize, Father, that we are nowhere near perfect, Lord, and we need a good diagnosis in order to have a good cure. So, Lord, I pray that you would empower us to take in your word and to seize on on the remedy, on the blessing, on on the restoration that you offer us. In your son's name, amen. All right, so we are continuing in Isaiah chapter 5. Last week we covered two woes, and this week we're covering four woes. Are you pumped, excited? Four woes and two therefores, all right? So while you're turning there, a brief little story. Many of you know this story, but it really helps, I think, give us a, a sense of this word woe and, and the depth of the emotion that is connected to this word woe. So. Quite a few years ago, actually July 21st, 2009 to be precise. Unbeknownst to Donna and I, Donna had a little artery in her, in her communicating A1 artery that runs right across the bottom of the frontal lobe that was weak. And her blood pressure had begun to push that little weakness out into a balloon. And of course, w- nobody w- we had no clue that that was happening until that day. And on that morning, I kissed my wife goodbye I went off to work. And 45 minutes later, that little bomb went off. And she stood up and passed out and hit the floor and was out, cold. And a few hours later, we were in the emergency room. Donna was getting a CAT scan. I had no clue. What the heck? And they wheeled her back into the emergency room. And the nurse wouldn't look me in the eye. She just kept finding busy things to do and not look at me. And a few minutes after that, the ER doctor came in with my fuzzy recollection as everything started to blur at this point, but with this whole entourage of nurses and social workers and people. And he said, I am afraid I have some bad news. And of course, he went on to explain that, you know, she'd had a ruptured brain aneurysm, that blood was filling her, her, her mind and that there was about a 50% chance that she wouldn't survive the next 24 hours. And he said, well, and if she survives the next 24 hours, somewhere between seven, eight, and 13, 14 days out, she's gonna experience this thing called vasospasm, which causes the arteries to seize up because the outside of them has been exposed to blood, which is actually really toxic once it's out of your circulatory system and that will probably kill her as well. She's got about a 50% chance there. If she survives that, if she's in that 25% group of people that survive all of this, then you're probably looking at, you know, 10 years of therapy, speech therapy, and various types of motor skill therapy, and and she may not be the same person that you know and love. So that was his message to me. And The reason I share that, and I know many of you have heard the story before, and the reason why I share it again is because that moment of the ER doctor saying, I'm afraid I have bad news for you, that is precisely the feeling, the pathos, the depth of grief that this word woe contains. So as Isaiah is saying to to his countrymen, to his own people, woe to you. It's at the same level as the ER doctor coming in and saying, I'm afraid I have bad news for you. Praise God. There she is, alive and well. The same person I, I've known and loved for, for these 30 years. Uh, amen. And likewise, God provides an opportunity for restoration. Praise the Lord. But I just really wanted you to understand, when Isaiah says, Woe to you, to the people of Judah. He's not saying, oh, shucks, darn. You know, he's saying, woe to you. I have very deep, dreadful, scary, dark news for you. And the idea of of a doctor giving a, the word just escaped me. I just said it in the prayer. Not prognosis, but diagnosis. Thank you very much. The idea of a doctor giving you bad news in the form of a diagnosis is exactly what's going on here with Isaiah. He is giving the men of Judah, the, the people of Israel, a very dark, desperate diagnosis. You have a deep, 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 deep spiritual problem that you need to understand. is very serious. And there are consequences to this. The prognosis is not good. The prognosis is wrath and judgment. It is not a good prognosis. So I hope that has captured your attention because that's exactly God's intent. I think through Isaiah on the day that he preached this message as well as right in this moment, he wants to catch our attention. Look, we have deep spiritual issues. We have deep spiritual problems that God has a progn- has a diagnosis for. He also has a prognosis for, and he also has a solution. Okay, So let's take a look at it starting with the first woe, verse 18. Woe to those who draw iniquity with cords of falsehood, who draw sin as with carts with cart ropes. I love the poetry of this. I love the picture of this. The picture is woe to you because you go after sin and you pull it into yourself. You're constantly reaching out and finding sin and just pulling it into yourself. And not only that, Notice the progression. There's a progression from a cord, you know, a little nylon rope maybe that you use to tie a package onto the roof of your car, right? And you're pulling that sin with a cord of what? Of falsehood. There's a huge principle there. The principle is, you know what? As we purposely and willfully engage in sinful behavior, what goes with that? We start lying. We lie about the sinful behavior. We start lying to other people we start lying to ourselves about what that sinful behavior is we start pulling that sin into ourselves with lies we use lies as the rope to pull that sin into ourselves we try to justify it we say "Ah, you know this is an enlightened attitude right i'm progressive i'm thinking i'm a modern thinker i'm intellectual right we we come up with oh it's a my. you know what nobody knows about this thing it's not who's it's not going to hurt anybody if N- nobody knows about it, right? Well, it's going to at least hurt you, right? But we build, we use these cords of lying to pull that sin into us. And then again, that notice the progression. It goes from this, this rope to, he says, a cart rope. And for us, we don't have any idea what a cart rope is. But imagine a big, giant, thick monster cable, okay? So to put it in kind of more modern vernacular, and plus, as you know, I shared last time that I'm, I, I'm into sailing, so even though I don't have a boat and haven't sailed in 15 years, I still claim to be a sailor. <laughs> so there's a difference between a small, we call it a sheet, okay, a sheet is a small little rope that you use to adjust the, the boom, okay, the boom is the, anyway, it's a, it's a small rope that you use to adjust the sail, right, versus an anchor chain that you use to hoist up the anchor. And so that's the progression. We start out with these little sins, you know, these little pet sins, and we pull them into our lives with these little strands of lies, these small little cords of lies. We kind of lie to ourselves about it. We lie to our family about it. But it doesn't stay small, does it? Sin, our pet sins have this tendency to grow. They're ravenous, they're hungry, and they just continue to grow. And as they grow, we need bigger and bigger ropes and cords to be able to pull them into our lives. So we tell bigger lies, and we lie more to ourselves, even to the point where we don't even know we're lying anymore, right? So that's the picture, and I think it's a, it's a very poetic picture. So, so here's the principle from this first woe. Woe to those who walk their pet sins on ever-growing leashes of lies. Okay, that's the picture. Woe to us. I have bad news for you when you continue to seek after sin and then pull it into your life and then lie about it and pretend like it's not sin. Right? It's only going to get worse. It's only going to progress unless you cut that rope. And we're going to talk about how we cut that rope as we go and get into this message. Actually, you know what? I'll talk about it as we go because it bears clarity and It's great for us to talk about. So how do we cut that rope? Really, the go-to passage for me is 1 John. In fact, maybe we'll just go there. 1 John, starting in verse 5. All right, it reads this way. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. OK, so check this out. John is saying, look, if we walk in the light as he is in the light. We have fellowship with one another. But then notice this. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So what does that mean to walk in the light? Does that mean we walk? Absolutely, sinlessly, perfectly, holy. God is holy, therefore we should walk. We should be holy, right? And we should walk in holiness. Yes, that's true. Do we walk in perfect holiness? No, because if walking in the light meant we walked in perfect holiness, why would we need the blood of Jesus to cleanse us from all sin? And if, you're, if you have doubts about what I just said, let's read on. Verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. However, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So this is what John is saying. The way we walk in the light doesn't mean we walk perfectly. It means that when we recognize that we've been going after the sin and we're drawing the sin into our lives with with subtle little lies and self-deception, The moment we recognize that, what do we do? What does the passage say? What's the remedy? The passage is we confess it. We just speak the truth about it. We just acknowledge the reality of it. And we confess it to the Lord. And what's the Lord's response to our confession? What is He faithful to do? He's faithful to forgive us of what? Of small sins? Of maybe a few sins? what does it say he it says it's, he's faithful to give us he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness that's all, everything every little little card of sin with little strands of lies or big giant monster container ships of sin with massive anchor chains regardless either way he is faithful to forgive us of that he's faithful to cut through those cords of deception and lies, the moment we're willing to speak the truth about it, the moment we're willing to go to him and say, look, Lord, woe is me. I struggle with this. I'm struggling with this thing. And I know that one day if I just, okay, right now, it might seem like a little kitty cat, but you leave that kitty cat there, and one day you'll turn around, and it's a big, roaring, ravenous lion that's intent on devouring you, okay? And the best way to avoid that big, giant, roaring lion that's going to devour you is to cut that cord when it's still a little kitty cat. Alright? It's much easier to confess that it when it's a little kitty cat. It's much harder to confess it when it's this big, massive container ship full of all kinds of lies in your life that are going to cause devastation to everybody around you. Right? Either way, you've got to cut it. I would rather cut it here. Okay? But if it's a big container ship, that's going to cause devastation to people all around you, you still got to cut it. Because if you don't cut it, it's going to run over you, and it will run over the people around you. Either way, you got to cut it. And the only way to cut it is to confess it, to acknowledge it, to say, okay, Lord, woe is me. I don't want to preach Robert's message next Sunday. But there's always a but with that, right? (laughs) I will say, just a really quick little thing that really I think is a key How do we as believers deal with these woes? I mean, Isaiah is saying, woe to you, right? But the next chapter, he's going to say, woe to me. Because he has this amazing vision of God's glory. And because he's seen this vision of God's glory, he's suddenly aware of just how sinful he is. Just how awful this pack of sin that he's carting around, that he's subtly lied to himself about. Suddenly, in the light of God's glory, it just becomes perfectly clear to him. And what is his response? Woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips. He's confessing to God. And what is God's response? God's response sends the angel to the altar, takes the burning coal, puts it on his lips. Kind of sounds tough to me, but it's a vision. Don't worry. It's safe. It's a vision. And then, which signifies that God has cleaned his lips, that he can be an oracle of God, and speak the word of God because of God cleansing him, not himself pulling himself up by his own bootstraps and somehow making himself holy, right? So what is our response to these woes? I'm preaching the end of the message right at the beginning. Is that great? Maybe we could just skip all the woes and and we're good. I don't think so. But our response is just simple. It's confession. Just going to the Lord and saying, look, Lord, woe is me. I mean, Isaiah is a prophet. He's speaking the word of God. And if he confronted with the glory of God says, woe is me, how much more should we say, woe is me, Lord? You know what? There are areas of my life I know are not right. And I've been lying to people. I've been lying to myself that this thing is somehow okay, and it's not. I just confess that to you. Help me cut that rope. Help me turn away from it and look to your glory. Amen? All right. That's the woe one. Moving on. Isaiah 19. This kind of continues this woe. 19 says, Woe to those who say, Let him be quick. Let him speed his work that that we may see it. Let the counsel of the Holy One of Israel draw near and let it come that we may know it. Now, this is a little bit confusing, right? Well, isn't that a good thing? Isn't it a good thing to say to the Lord, Well, let the Lord be quick. Come, Lord Jesus. Come soon. Let him speed his work that we may see it. Come on, God. We want to see your work. Let the counsel of the Holy One of Israel draw near and let it come that we may know it. That's all good, right? Here's the problem. The problem is they don't believe it. They're actually, this is actually a taunt. This is actually the idea of it, the spirit of it is, look, you know what? You say that if I you say that if I eat the forbidden fruit, I'm gonna die. Well, even I just ate it, and here we are, we're still alive. Where are you, God? Where's your wrath? Where's all this wrath and judgment that you've been trying to terrify us with? Here I am, I'm doing what you say is wrong. But we're doing great. In fact, we're prospering. Life is good. You know? If you think if you're so serious about this, God. If you take sin so seriously, and you're saying, I'm blowing it in this area, where's the wrath? How come, you know, I haven't been struck by lightning? Have you ever had that experience? Have you ever gone like, I can particularly remember as a little kid, one of the first times that I really got away with something really big, you know. I really did something really bad, really wrong. And I thought, woe is me, I'm doomed. It's all over. My parents are going to give me. They never said they would give me away to the Indians. They always said they would trade me to the Indians. I'm like, what? I mean, they're going to try to get something out of it, trade me to the Indians. So I get some Midwestern Kansas thing, I think. But I'm like, this is it. They're trading me to the Indians. I hope they get something good for me, but they're trading me to the Indians. And then, but then nothing happened. Like, they didn't find out about it. And then that made it actually even worse, because now I've got this thing sitting there hooked on with this cord of deceit and it's just sitting there staring at me convicting me and I'm like ah that's even worse but that's the attitude that's the woe are you when you go when you're in that place of well you know I can it's not a big deal God doesn't care if God really cared about this area of sin he would he would have confronted me by now right that's a bad attitude woe to us when we take that attitude well Holiness just means whatever you can get away with. Uh-uh. Don't think so. So that's a big woe. 20, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Again, this kind of continues the same theme, the same idea that as we engage in sin, as we engage in ignoring God or even actively rebelling against God and we pursue what we want, when we want it, because we want it, there's this principle that that we begin to lie about it and what it is and what it means and what our motives are and we we become filled with self-deceit to the point where we just can't even recognize good or bad anymore. You know, we've called what is bad or evil okay for so long, we don't even just recognize it as bad anymore. Does that not define our culture, where we are as a culture? Aren't there all kinds of evil in the culture, culture that we now, we call good, that we have validated, that we have said, okay, this is proper, this is healthy, this is an enlightened attitude, right? And God says, no, it's sin, straight up, simple. It's just sin. But the real trouble, the real threat is when we call sin good. Because what? There's, a, there's no remedy from that. There's no coming back from that. How do you solve that? If you call sin good, you're never. there's no cure because you don't believe there's a disease in the first place. Right? That's, that's why it's such a serious woe, such an important woe. And how is it that we even define what is good or bad? Ourselves? That takes us to the next one. By the way, the quick summary principle for, both for verse 19 is, Woe to those who mistake God's patience and forbearance for a license to keep producing wild grapes. Okay, we talked a lot about wild grapes. Wild grapes are basically just disobedience, producing bloodshed and an outcry instead of justice and righteousness. Right? So God is patient. You know? He is slow to wrath slow to anger, but we need to be careful not to presume on him, not to misinterpret that his patience with us as somehow some kind of license to just keep our pet sins in tow with multitudes of lies. Okay, So that's the principle for 19. Principle for 20, calling good, bad. Woe to those who call the rotten fruit of their lives healthy, enlightened, and refreshing. And again, it begs the question, well, how do we know what's healthy, enlightening, and refreshing? How do we define that? What do we use to measure with? That really takes us to the next woe. 21, woe to those who who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight. You're in deep, we are in big trouble if the measurement of healthiness, the measurement of enlightenment, the measurement of refreshing blessed fruit is our own self, our own sense of satis- satisfaction? Why? Because Scripture says our heart is deceitful above all other things. You want to measure yourself with yourself? It, you have no guardrail. You have no way of accurately determining where you are in spiritually or in relationship to anything, right? Because you are your own defining ruler. I at work. I use. Calipers a lot. Calipers are these measuring devices, and it, I, I, it's got these little gears in it. I can use calipers, and I can measure down to one, one hundredth of an inch in accuracy, right? Or I can just say, yeah, about six inches. And really, I mean, the whole Enlightenment period, actually, even going back to the Renaissance artists, the the whole basis of the measurement, the, uh, the sense of proportion and measurement of proportion even really back to the classics, is based on the human form, right? The, the, the poster child for that idea is Leonardo da Vinci's man, the guy standing here like this, you know, and there's a big circle around him. Right? It's Our proportions define, and here's the real catch, our proportions define the true proportions of God. The pr- true underlying inherent proportions of the universe are encapsulated by Human proportion, okay? The problem is is human proportion is bent and broken and stooped over. So you're going to use humans as the ultimate measuring stick. You're going to use yourself as the ultimate measuring stick for what is wisdom. You're lost because you're bent. You're not a good measuring stick of wisdom. And if you think you are, you're not going to hear this message. You're going to discard this message out of hand. Who are you, John Banman? just because you're standing up at a podium to say that I'm bent and broken? Who says I'm bent and broken? I've been told all my life in the educational system that I'm awesome, right? And I, by the way, I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. We are created in the image of God. We are the crown jewel of his creation, right? And because of our rebellion, we are broken and sinful, and we're not a reliable measuring stick of of wisdom and truth. So what's the principle? Woe to those who measure their wisdom by their own wisdom. It's just not going to get you there. And here's the thing, the reason why that's so deadly. If it's true that we tend to latch on to sin and draw sin to us using cords of what? Deceit, cords of lying, cords of, of... diminishing that it's sin, sin at all in the first place. If that's our mode of operation, then how deadly is it for us to then measure whether or not that thing is sinful based on ourselves. Based on our own deceitful hearts that are, are lying to ourselves and lying to the people around us. Right? It's a deadly combination. So, serious. I have some serious bad news because If we're honest, that's where we are. That's the culture we live and breathe. That's what we've been brought up in. All right, next, woe. Twenty-one, or twenty-two. Woe to those who are heroes at drinking wine and valiant men in mixing strong drink who acquit the guilty for a bribe and deprive the innocent of his right. Heroes at drinking wine valiant in mixing strong drink. Going back to the fact that God created us us in his, his own image, we are the crown jewel of his creation. Not only that, but he gave us great purpose. He told Adam and Eve, he said, look, I've created this amazing garden for you. Now, have dominion over it. Subdue it. Rule over this creation I've given you. That is a high calling. Be be a hero. Be a hero for one another. Right, Be valiant in pursuing one another according to the gospel of grace and truth. Right, That's a high calling. And then that's the calling that God gave his people Israel. Is it not? He told Abraham, look, because you trust me, because you put your faith in me, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to make you a great nation. And I will bless who? All peoples through you. Right? That's a high calling. We're to be heroes right? of God's grace and mercy, heroes of the gospel. But these guys have traded that for being heroes at, at drinking, getting drunk. That's what you're a hero of, is getting drunk. How much skill does it take to get drunk? Not much. In fact, your auto-swallow reflex works just perfectly fine, right, for most of us anyway. Yeah, It doesn't take much skill. But that's what they're heroes of. The principle, as I'm putting it, is woe to those who exchange the highest calling of life for the low life. Right? God has called us to incredible purpose, you guys. I mean, God has given us a vision that's all about us loving one another the way he loved us to the point where people walk into this church and they're just blown away. How can people care that much for each other? How can people be so willing to walk through the hard things of life truthfully and honestly together? How does that work? How does that happen? There's something going on here. That's the high calling of Christ in our life. Right? And this world is continuously saying, no, the high calling is to have a really cool electric Tesla car. (laughs) That's my temptation, right? That's my coveting right there. I I mean, that takes care of my love for cars and my geekdom and everything. Right? it's a stupid car that's going to go into the ground in 10 years, okay? God has called us to something amazing that will ring through eternity. The, the way we stand for each other, the way we love on each other, the way we speak the truth to each other is going to ring forever in eternity. There's going to be a time when I sit down with one of you 10,000 years into eternity and say, hey, remember that time you came to me? Man, I was so discouraged. And you just shared something. You didn't even know your, what you were saying, what, you, what, what the Holy Spirit was doing through you. And you just blessed me. And it, and it was instrumental in me choosing to take that quiet time, that prayer time with the Lord. And you know what? And then that led to this and that led to that. And f- guess what? Fruit. The fruit of righteousness and justice. Right? The vineyard producing what God intends it to produce. Let's not exchange the highest calling of life for for a low life. It's just dumb. But we do it anyway, don't we? So what's the solution? We don't pretend like it didn't happen. We don't try to just sweep it under the rug. What do we do? What? Confess it. Thank you. Mike gets a gold star this morning. Confess it. Repent from it. Share it with a brother or sister. And say, man, help me. I just need to say it out loud to somebody and know that they're praying for me. 24, therefore is the tongue. Okay, here we're to our therefores now, okay? The diagnosis is bad, it's severe, and the prognosis, frankly, is worse. 24, therefore, as the tongues of fire devours the stubble, and as dry grass sinks down in the flame, so their root will be as rottenness, and their blossoms go up like dust. For they have rejected the law of the Lord of hosts and have despised the word of the Holy One of Israel. Okay, this is bad news. Right? This is this is wrath. This is judgment. And you know what? Uh, there's a lot I can say about God's wrath and judgment. If we persist, and, and here's here's something I want to I, I kind of want to recalibrate a sense of context here. If we persist, if we continue to draw sin into our lives until it's a container ship with this monster anchor that we were dragging along behind us, I would be very concerned. That's a big warning sign. And. We, we all struggle. We were talking about this in the, men's, in the men's study yesterday. We were talking about how, you know what? We recognize that God calls us to holiness, but we also recognize that we're not perfect. And we recognize that we blow it in different areas and we struggle. We have the struggle. But then we struggle with the fact that we're struggling, right? We were talking about it's like, well, as a believer, golly, man, I'm still, I still feel that temptation for that thing and want to pull it in and kind of lie to myself about it. I still have that active in my life what does that mean that I'm still struggling with that does that mean I'm doomed does that mean God is going to pour his wrath out on me and I've lost my salvation is that what that means I think scripture is very clear that if you have honestly and truthfully put your hope and faith in Christ and confessed him as both your savior and by the way and Lord right you will be saved okay and, as Paul says, you will struggle. The flesh wages war against the spirit, and the spirit wages war against the flesh. Paul says, what I want to do, I don't do. And what I, what I don't want to do, I do. O wretched man that I am, who can save me from this corpse, from this body of death? Who can save me? Well, Christ can. And what's our job? Our job is to confess it, just to agree with him that, hey, I'm struggling in this area. And that's how sanctification works. As we're honest with our struggles and we confess those struggles, the Lord will move us from one glory to the next glory. And he'll grow us up. Okay? So do we need to fear wrath? Not if you are like Isaiah who says, woe is me, Lord. Woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips. Woe is me, Lord, because you know what? I have this pet sin and I keep keep hanging on to it. And I keep spinning out all these little lies in order to hang on to it. Woe is me. Lord, I just agree with you that it's wrong and, and it's, it's attached to my life and I, I need to cut it. Help me, Jesus. Forgive me. I receive your forgiveness by faith. Now empower me to walk away from it, to repent of it. That's the Christian life. That's what it looks like to live a Christian life. The alternative is is what we're reading right now. The alternative is that God will utterly and totally and ultimately destroy you. If you resist the Holy Spirit your whole life, if you resist calling on Jesus as your Lord and Savior, as you reject him throughout your life, the only thing you have to look forward to is death and destruction forever, eternal torment. John, does that mean if I've blown it, I'm death and destruction and torment forever? Not if you put your hope and faith in Christ. And not if you're humble enough to say, look, Lord, I'm blowing it. The evidence, the evidence that you've put your hope and faith in Christ is that you're willing to say, woe is me, Lord. The evidence of you hardening your heart and maybe never even receiving Christ, even though maybe you walked down the aisle and shook a pastor's hand one day just because you thought it was a thing to do but you don't really demonstrate any real affection for the Lord, the best evidence of that's where you're at is that you listen to this whole message and say, ah, no, it doesn't apply to me. I don't struggle that way. I don't have any sins. I don't lie to anybody. I'm perfect. Okay, I'm not perfect, but, you know, I'm good enough. I'm okay. You know? How do I even know that, you know, these words written 2,500 years ago even apply to me? Right. Who's Who gives this the authority? Well, God does, and he's demonstrated it over and over and over again, even coming into the world in his own flesh. But if you're there, this morning's message is a warning to you. You know what? You need to really think about whether or not you serve Jesus as your Lord and Savior. But if you recognize Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you also recognize that you struggle, that you have these sins that you still cling on to, that you underestimate God's seriousness about sin, and somehow think that, well, oh, I have license because, you know, I'm covered by grace. That gives me license to just slide. Then that, that message is woe to you. Repent confess and repent alright so nobody gets out of here free today you're either confessing and repenting and and knowing the salvation and forgiveness of Christ or you're doomed to destruction those, those are your choices sorry but that's what they are amen he goes on with more wrath the next therefore and I'm going to go through this really rapidly so ready fasten your seatbelt Therefore, the anger of the Lord was kindled against his people, and he stretched out his hand against them and struck them. And the mountains quaked, and their corpses were as refuse in the midst of the streets. For all this, his anger is not turned away, and his hand is stretched out still. Okay, so what happened there? There was an earthquake. A lot of people died. That was God's wrath, all right? Sometimes natural disasters is God saying, hey, wake up. You know what? There is coming a day of judgment, and I'm just giving you a little taste of it. So you wake up, you know, I'm serious. So that happened. But for all this, his anger was not turned away, and his hand is stretched out still. God's not done with his people yet. Okay, he will raise a signal for nations far away and whistle for them from the ends of the earth. Raising the signal is that idea in in a fight, you'd have a flag, and then the soldiers know where to rally, and you could even signal other groups of your soldiers and try to control your your army and keep them engaged the way you want them to. So it's a rallying point. But this, in this case, it's used in the reverse. God's saying, look, I'm going to set a banner to rally all the nations around you to come and attack you and capture you and take you captive and take you off into exile. 27, uh, 27 none is wary, meaning these armies that are going to come and invade. None is wary. None stumbles. None slumbers or sleeps. Not a waistband is loose. Not a sandal strap broken. Their arrows are sharp. Are their bows bent? Their horses' hoofs seem like flint, and their wheels like whirlwind. Contrast that with that uh, second woe, where people are saying, uh, "Let me read it real quick." People say, oh, "God, if you're so serious this, about this, why don't you why don't you come and be here quick? Let, why don't you speed your work that you may that we may see it? Let the counsel of the Holy One of Israel draw near, and let it come that we may know it." Well, God said, "Yeah, that's exactly what I'm going to do. I'm sending Babylon." And I'm sending them with speed and determination, and they're going to come in and wipe you out. You want you want to you want to challenge me? <laughs> you want to lay down the gauntlet before me and say, "Hey, if you're so serious about this, where's the judgment? Uh, trust me, it's coming." Right? We want to play games with God. We want to play church with God and pretend like to be all good and Christian on Sunday morning, and then just dive headfirst into this area of sin that we're just. Keeping hidden from everybody. God's gonna discipline us. Paul says, you know what? God's not afraid to discipline you. Right? It's serious. 29, they're their roaring is like a lion, like young lions they roar. They growl and seize their prey. They carry it off and none can rescue. They will growl over it on that day, like the growling of the sea. And if one looks to the land, behold, darkness and distress, and the light is darkened by its clouds. Notice this last verse, they'll growl, growl over it on the day like the growling of the sea. So in the Hebrew mind, the sea was a dark, scary, demonic place. It represented the powers of darkness, the powers of, uh, of Satan. It was a tempestuous, dangerous, scary place. So looking to the sea was just not an option in the Hebrew mind, okay? So where do you look to? Well, you look to the hills, the mountains, Right? You look to the land. And what Isaiah is saying here is, look, you can't look to the sea, and the land is no help to you. The land is filled with God's wrath and judgment, darkness. You've got nowhere to go. This, this is coming. This is going down, and there's no escaping it. I'm judging you. For most of you, I'm judging you ultimately. For some of you, you're in under discipline and you're going to go into exile and you're going to demonstrate faithfulness to me in exile. All right? But what does that mean for us? Woe to us because all these things are part of our lives, are they not? All of us have some area of this where we overestimate our own wisdom. Right? We're overly impressed with our own insight. All of us have some area of life that we struggle with and that we tend to kind of lie about instead of just confessing it. We're all here. A woe to us. But praise be to Christ, he has given a way of escape. He has given a path of salvation, of redemption. Right? If we look to Christ, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness. That's all unrighteousness. Every little, last, tiny, awful little thing we have done. Or don't even know that we've done. He forgives it all. Why? Because he paid for it on the cross. He bled for us so that we don't have to bleed. Amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus.